Welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Strahan. Hey, it's Odie Strahan, and I'm having one of the most amazing days of my life. Hopefully you are too. Let's get this show started. What's going on? What's going on? Welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Strahan. Guys, we are in for a treat today. I'm fired up, really excited about today's guest. Uh, this individual has had massive success at every stop of his career. He started locally here at Cordova High School in basketball and football, which we'll talk about. Uh, from there, he continued his success on the football field at Sac City, uh, where he put up record numbers. Uh, from there, transferred off to Iowa State and had a great two seasons over there. Was a Heisman uh, Trophy uh, candidate. And uh, you might know him for one of his iconic plays that they simply called the run. And then from there, he enjoyed a 10-year career in the NFL um, after being drafted by the Seattle Seahawks in the fourth round. And he's having just as much success, you know, post-career. And just really excited to have him on and, uh, you know, just to get into a lot of, lot of information today. Seneca Wallace, you out there, brother. Man, what's up? What's up? What's up? I appreciate you having me on, man. You got it, man. Uh, I know I just told you prior, man, that you're one of the guests that, you know, the, a lot of people, actually a lot of people, a lot of people have been asking about to get on the show. So I know uh, a lot of people have been, you know, anticipating this. So I got a lot to get into, brother. We're gonna, you know, let's just let's d- dive right into it, man. Let's do so, it. Uh, so growing up, man, talk to me, because uh, I find you personally to be one of the most athletic individuals I've ever personally seen in person. Uh, mm-hmm. What sports did you play growing up? Uh, I mean, you know what? Growing up in Rancho, we dibble and dab as young kids, man, you play in every sport. I mean, my first organized sport that I played was soccer. And so I think that's where I got the fundamentals and all the footwork and all that other stuff was playing soccer at a young age. And I remember, you know, my homies like LaJuan and Sean and all them going to practice, football practice around the corner. And they would be riding by on their bikes and start laughing at me because I'm over there, you know, with shin guards on playing soccer. And they got their little shoulder pads on and helmets going to practice, you know. But uh, so I played soccer for about four years. And then, you know, my first organized football was uh, in eighth grade for me. And um, after that, you know, it was basketball as well. So I played a little bit of everything. You know, I wanted to expose myself to every sport. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, it never fails, man. We're, we're less than two minutes into the episode. I learned something new about you. Never, never knew that uh, soccer was a sport you play, but it oh, makes yeah. sense. It makes sense, with, especially with all the, like you said, the great footwork that you, that you did, you did yeah. have. Um, yeah. So eighth grade. So that actually was my next question. Uh, is that when you actually started playing organized sports? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, organized sports, it usually, I mean, organized football, you know, I football, played organized okay. soccer, you know what I mean, for, I think it was like four or five years. And I think I started playing when I was in elementary. And then okay. from there, obviously, I kept playing until about my seventh, eighth grade year. And then, you know, my mom and dad was cool with me going out uh, and playing organized football. And so went out for the Jets and then played for them. I think it was Jets or the Lancers or whatever. Uh, the Pop Warner team right there at Mills uh, Middle School. So that's where I started playing. And then after that, you know, I played one year of junior midgets, I think. And then from junior midgets, then went on and then played, you know, uh, freshman football at at Cordova. Got it. Got it. So let me ask you this. You know, growing up when you were a kid, uh, was there anybody specifically that you looked up to that you modeled your game after, whether it be, you know, soccer, basketball, football? Was there anybody, you know, like there in, you know, Mm -hmm. specifically that you modeled your game after? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, I remember going, growing up, you know, and I got, and all my homeboys remember this. I mean, we would go watch, you know, 
uh, Cordova playing, and there was a dude named Kevin Forbes that we used to, you know, play all the time. And he was a good running back for Cordova. And, um, you know, he used to always have this spat on his cleats. And obviously, you use it for, you know, to support ankle support or whatever. But the spat was was really in back then, and it it just looked sweet on the football field. And I still remember he was wearing number 24. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say I modeled my game after him, but I just loved his swag and the way he looked on the football field. And so, you know, I'll be out in the street. I still remember I had my shark cleats on, and I'm out there and, and you know, on the pavement running around with, you know, rubber cleats on, on the, on the, on the pavement with my little spat thinking I was sweet. So, <laughs> you know, from dudes like that, watching him play at Cordova when I was, you know, looking outside the fence and looking into the football field or whatever. And then obviously guys like Tommy Frazier, I grew up watching when he played at Nebraska. So, you know, that's why I kind of rocked the number 15 really, uh, you know, after I got out of high school, you know, I started rocking that cause that's the number he was at Nebraska. But, you know, you got all the black quarterbacks, Randall Cunningham and all those quarterbacks, Warren Moon, um, you know, guys like that is who I kind of really emulated and watched. And obviously growing up a Niners fan, I had Joe Montana, Steve Young and those type of versatile quarterbacks that I love watching. So, you know, you pick you pick a little bit from each player, because obviously Joe Montana, he was mobile, but he wasn't a Tommy Frazier and Tommy Frazier was an elite passer at Nebraska, but he could run the rock. So you kind of dibble and dab and you take little things from each, each player and try to put it into your game. No, absolutely, man. Tommy Frazier was a problem in Nebraska, man. He, he was, he was uh, doing some major work. Uh, mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned Forbes. We actually just uh, saw him a couple weeks ago. He's actually doing some work with uh, uh, Harvey Hargrove out here. So, yeah, okay. we were able, yeah, so that's good, man. Let's actually get into the Cordova days. Uh, you know, in high school, you started both in, you know, football and basketball. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, no, not, not too many people know in my opinion, I think you were just as much of a problem on the basketball court as you yeah. were on, on the football court. Uh, you know, in fact, you, 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 I guarantee you don't remember this, but actually you were, uh, you were a freshman and we had the same PE class together. And I actually just joking around you, uh, I threw you a lob and I purposely, it was just before, before I think, I don't know, it was Demer or somebody else was, you know, one of the, yeah. I think Mr. Demer, yeah, was in there. We weren't supposed to be, you know, messing around with air at all, but I threw you a pass, man. And, and you grabbed it. And, and, and I, I, I purposely threw it up there where you couldn't get it. You grabbed it and you actually did a reverse 360. Now it didn't go in. I'll be honest, yeah. you missed it. Yeah. But, but I looked at you, it was like, that was unreal. <laughs> that, that wasn't supposed to happen. And, and just right. to let you know, just to let you know, not too many people I know, my good friend Chris Jager back in the day remembers this, but, but we, we didn't even change it, just to let you know. So we were still in our school clothes and you grabbed it. And I was like, man, this, that, kid's a, that's, that kid's a special talent. I even yeah. saw it back then. So, uh, but yeah, talk to me about, you know, the, you know, Cordova, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, high school, when you entered Cordova, it was, uh, was football, did you know at that time the football was going to be your, you know, the priority, mm-hmm. your, your main sport, or at that point, were you still open? Because like I said, you really right. were just as gifted in basketball. Right. No, I was just open, man. I mean, I remember just coming up, you know, uh, I remember the summer of, uh, I think, going into my freshman year or after my freshman year you know, basketball started becoming, you know, something I was gravitating to, you know, obviously my passion was still football. Uh, Basketball was something that, you know, I I love playing. Me and my boys love playing at the park at Williamson and local parks around Rancho all the time. And so basketball was just one thing that I really loved. I just love being outdoors and being active. 
you know, would I say that was my, my, my true passion, basketball? No, you know, but I, I would, I would go out and obviously at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm going to put my best foot forward when I was playing the game. And I remember going into my freshman year, coming out of my freshman year, um, you know, I, I didn't even play freshman ball, I don't believe. And then obviously then I got on varsity, um, you know, going into my JV year, you know, uh, Coach Jones moved me up, put me on varsity for basketball. And, but my passion still was, it, it was football. I mean, that's what I knew. Uh, that's what I love to do, being a quarterback, being a leader. And then obviously, you know, that translated to basketball, being a point guard. And so I still remember me and Marlo getting into it. And we tell this story all the time. We was on the basketball court. I think we were playing Valley High. Valley High was always known to have ballers. And, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? And, and so um, Jeremiah Farms was on that squad. And I think we were either at home, I believe, or something. But a ball was like, I think it was in Valley. It was at Valley. The ball was getting ready it was going out of bounds or something. And me and Jeremiah were running for it and we were getting ready to collide. And I pulled up and he kept going. I mean, everybody knows Jeremiah Farms was a beast back in high school. Absolutely. And, and so he pulled up. I mean, I pulled up, he got the ball. And I don't know what happened after that, but me and Marlo got into an argument and I told him, this ain't even my sport. You know what I mean? But he mad because obviously that was the thing. He, he, he was, that was his passion was basketball. And, and I understood it. And, but at the time, you know, I'm like, look, this isn't my sport. You know what I mean? I'm not about to go dive on the, on the floor for a basketball or go collide with somebody to try to get a ball going out of bounds. And so, you know, I, we joke about that all the time because I always remember sitting there saying that, like, this ain't my sport, man. Football is my sport. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, football took me more places than basketball probably would ever taken me. I mean, yeah, I would have loved to have been 6'4". And, but, you know, I could shoot the rock. I could handle the rock. I could jump out the gym, I thought. But at the same time, football was just one of those sports that just took me other places. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, for the record, your talent on basketball is irrefutable. Like you said, you had a quick first step. You had range. You could shoot, mm -hmm. go right, left hand. You definitely had, you know, the, <laughs> the jumping ability. You yeah. had great vision as a point guard. No, I, I think it was, if it was something like you, that you had alluded to, something that you were passionate about and something that you would have, you know, took – uh, the mm -hmm. same type of passion, not to say you, you didn't, but, you know, as you do, as you did football, uh, right. there, there'd be no doubt that you had been a professional basketball player, to be, to be honest, in my opinion. So well, let's get back to the football field, though. Yeah. So talk to me about your, uh, you know, your high school years at Cordova. You know, talk to me about the teams that you, that you played on. Uh, what type mm -hmm. of success were you guys able to have? Yeah, man, we had, we had some good teams. I mean, my JV year, we went uh, undefeated playing in the Delta League, so playing against teams like Florin. Valley, Elk Grove, and all those teams. So that was a good year for us. And um, I mean, unfortunately, like high school, you got guys that leave, transfer, uh, you know, their families will move for a new job or whatever the case may be. So we had some players that left. And then junior and senior year, you know, at Cordova was, you know, it was a little turmoil. You know, we were dealing with uh, co-head coaches. We were dealing with Coach Rieger, who was the head coach my junior year. Um, and I don't believe that we saw eye to eye, me and Coach Rieger. And, you know, I think of back on those times when I was in high school, you know, kind of dealing with a lot of stuff, you know, uh, from the quarterback standpoint that still kind of is prevalent today. You know, you deal with sometimes when coaches might not see that black quarterbacks should be 
playing quarterback. They should be playing a different position. Do I felt like Coach Rieger was kind of uh, scrutinized me or, or looked at me in that light as far as a black quarterback? Somewhat. And so, you know, dealing with little issues like that, and it was a bunch of other stuff that was going on. So I was lucky enough to kind of finish off and get through my junior year. And we didn't finish off too well. Uh, I, me, I missed a couple, I missed two or three games my junior year. Um, and I remember that Coach Rieger benched me and Sean and some other players our junior year. And then we had uh, Coach Lazenby, uh, may he rest in peace, he came in. And then we had co-head coaches. So we had a black coach and we had a white coach. And, you know, this is in the 90s. And so right. we, we go into my senior year and um, we don't have enough bodies. You know what I mean? We trying to survive on 35 some odd players. Guys got to go play both ways or whatever the case may be. But, you know, I, I kind of got my fire back to play because I had a coach who, you know, saw eye to eye, believed in me, was going to give me the opportunity to be the guy, which I had the opportunity my junior year too, but it was just dealing with a bunch of off the field stuff. And then, you know, going into senior year, I mean, we, we just battled. But unfortunately, we didn't win a lot of games. We only won two. We were in the fight. But I think we just ran out of gas towards the end of the, you know, each game because we just didn't have uh, the bodies to do so. And so uh, we ended up two and eight maybe my senior year, get a scholarship. Uh, I still got scholarship offers as an athlete and ended up accepting a scholarship to Oregon State out of high school as an athlete. Yeah, which I want to get into here just shortly. So, uh one thing that I did, uh, you know, I definitely respect about that group is that, you know, you guys had a close bond as teammates and as well mm -hmm. as, you know, uh, brothers off the field. In fact, something right. that you guys still maintain today. I mean, a lot of those, uh, you know, teammates that you mentioned you're st are, are your closest friends. You know, there, there are people that were in your wedding, you know. So talk to me about that brotherhood uh, with the individuals that you played with on that team that you still car carry those uh, same type friendships yeah. uh, today. I mean, that bond is, is crucial, man. I mean, those are the guys that you grew up with. You know, those are the guys you went to battle with day in and day out through practice, you know, uh, guys that slept at your house, you know, you spent the night with each other. I mean, that's just high school, you know, I mean, that's where you kind of form that bond, but every single person that, you know, that I'm still friends with today are the same individuals that I grew up with, you know, along the way. They supported me throughout my career after high school. And so that was where it was ingrained. I mean, think that's when you actually figure out who your true friends are you know, in high school, because at the end of the day, once everybody leaves high school, everybody's going to go their own different direction. They're going to go off to college. They're going to go off, maybe get a new job. They're going to start a new, maybe a family at a young age, who knows. But at the same time, you know, you got to have that special bond with your friends. And so me, Sean, Coco, Lawan, uh, Derek, all those dudes, we all still close. They were all in my wedding or at my wedding. And so uh, that means a lot to me because obviously, you know, as as we all started to grow and go our separate directions, you know, a lot of us had success. And with that, you got to also keep your circle tight. You got to have those individuals that you know going to have your back. And so those are the same individuals that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis now. No, yeah. And that, that group that you have uh, is an absolute blessing. Like like you alluded to, you, you guys have been able to, you know, stay tight throughout the years, which... Right. Uh, it's very rare, you know, very rare. You have, you know, one or two friends after high school that you're able to maintain with because a lot of times, you know, hate to say it, but friendships are only for a season, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but with, with these guys, it, it's become, a, you know, a, a lifelong brotherhood, which is, uh, right. you know, beautiful to see. Um, no, that's awesome, man. Let's, let's talk about the recruitment process. So 
as you mentioned, you guys didn't necessarily have the best team. You guys didn't have the greatest season. But talk to me about that recruitment, the recruiting process. What, uh, what schools were heavy when it comes to mm-hmm. interest uh, before you, uh, you know, eventually committed to Oregon State? Yeah, I mean, I, that recruiting process was, you know, it was fun. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, back then, obviously, you you getting, uh, you know, you getting letters. I remember I got my first letter from Nebraska. I'm sitting in class, and I don't even know who it was. They ended up bringing a letter in the class. You know, I had the big red envelope with the N on it. So I'm okay. like, you know what I mean? But you get letters from USC, UCLA, all the Pac-10 schools back then, obviously. And this is how they did it back then. I mean, everybody now – everything's all digital, you know, everything is on huddle or whatever the case may be on how they recruiting through Twitter and all that. But when you get those official letters, that meant a lot. So I'm getting letters from everybody in the Pac-10 and, uh, uh, you know, the Big 12 and uh, Big 10, all those those conferences for the most part will recruit me and especially as an athlete. And, you know, I was okay with that because at the time I wasn't a polished quarterback. You know, I'm just an athlete playing the position. And I understood that. And for me to be able to just get a scholarship, uh, one of the first scholarships in a long time, decade or whatever, uh, maybe be for somebody to go to, you know, a power five school like Oregon State. So, you know, going through that recruiting process and and being able to, um, you know, go on recruiting trips and all that other stuff, it was like a dream. And but obviously it was another part of it that people don't know is that, you know, you got to be a qualifier. And the counselors at, at Cordova, you know, didn't really put me in the right position in order to be able to accept a scholarship to a division one. And so I was actually taking three English classes my senior year on top of, you know, I had to pass a certain classes with a C plus or better. And then I had to get a good score on my SATs, which I did. And in order to do all, I had to do all that in order to get my, my scholarship they still had to petition my last English class because you needed four years of English. So um, I ended up missing, I, I did everything that they required, got to Oregon State and uh, they told me that that petition didn't go through. Principal wrote letters. We just tried to fight the NCAA, but they weren't having it. So that's the, that's the way I ended up back to uh, Sacramento City College. That actually what I was going to get to next. So, uh, you know, take me through that, you know, the feeling that you had, you know, you put in the extra work to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to fulfill all the requirements, to do everything on your part, to, you know, to be qualified, just to find out that, you know, it, it was all for not, that it fell right. short, uh, that you had to pivot. And ultimately, you know, uh, what led you back to Sac City? So that's actually a two-part question. Yeah. So first of all, how, how was that, you know, how was that feeling, which I know I could imagine, but I mean, how did you feel at that point, you know, putting all that work in your senior year? And then from there, right. uh, what ultimately led you back to Sac City? Well, you know what I mean? Like I said, I, I had a good support system. You know what I mean? I, I'm taking, you know, night class, a night English class. You know, I had two two English classes at high school at Cordova. Um, and so, you know, when Coach Lazenby was kind of putting me in position and kind of walking me through the steps because we didn't really have anybody to guide us through that process. Counselors weren't doing what they were supposed to do. So, you know, as a young black kid, Growing up, didn't really have any family members who went off to college and actually understood how that process worked. So I had to somewhat kind of educate myself uh, to try to understand how that process worked. But it also helped having Coach Laz there to kind of help me through that because he came from Valley where Valley was, they had players. You had Antoine Simmons on on a deal and did a podcast with him. And he was a hell of a player at, at Valley High. Absolutely. And so those guys, you know, they know Coach Laz. 
And those individuals, you know, went on. And so I, I needed to have somebody guide me through that process. And, you know, we got, we got quite there, you know, uh, obviously it, I knew going to Oregon state and accepting my scholarship that I knew that I was going to have to maybe potentially uh, have to fall back. And my fallback was Sacramento city college. I talked to the coaches and, and at the time I was like, man, I don't want to go to a junior college, uh, junior college. I, I, I'm bigger than that is the way I yeah. thought, you know yeah. what I mean? I don't want to be a bounce back. And so I ended up, uh, you know, I accepted scholarship. And when I got there, uh, after I was going to start at corner at all places, all positions and, uh, be a punt returner and all that other stuff. And so coach Riley came up to me and said, Hey man, you know, uh, the petition didn't go through. We tried a couple things. Here is what we can do. And kind of laid out a few things for me, but I just knew at the right time. I mean, it was just going to make more sense for me to go back to city college and play. Talk to me about that transition into college football uh, mm -hmm. at the junior college level. And as well as, you know, it's kind of what you just mentioned, you know, staying local, you know, here you right. are, you're expecting to leave Sacramento. And you know, there's a lot of kids, you know, like they don't want to go to a local junior college. They don't even want to go to Sac State. You know, it's like right. you want to get out of your hometown. It's not just for Sacramento. It goes for, you know, pretty much, you know, every so. city for the most okay. part, you know. So talk, talk to me about that transition into college football, first of all. Like how, how was, uh, you know, the, the level of competition at the, at the junior college level route? Uh, yeah. Sorry, junior college level. And then how was it, you know, staying local for you? Well, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a good decision. It was an easy transition for the most part. I mean, obviously I missed a whole 98 season, but you know, when you, you know, transferring to Sac City back then, Sac City was the cream of the crop. You know, they had a lot of ball players that for whatever the reason didn't make it grades uh, bounce back because of whatever the situation is, but they had some dogs. And so I, I knew I was going to a situation that had a lot of talent. And so, you know, but I, I knew what my vision was. I knew what, you know, what I ultimately wanted to do. And that was to be in college, ball out in college. Did I know it was going to be a quarterback? Not really. You know what I mean? I, I knew I was going to go to college in some position and do my thing. I knew that. And so, you know, I knew if I had to bounce back to City College, I knew it was going to be, uh, a, a good stepping stone uh, for where I ultimately wanted to be. And so, you know, when I first, and I had conversations with the head coach, uh, who's a good friend of mine to this day. And uh, so we had a conversation like, look, you know, if this doesn't work out at Oregon State, you got a, you got a position here on our squad. And obviously Sac City, like I said before, they were putting out players. So I knew I was going to go there with a lot of talent uh, and and do my thing. So, End up coming back, and then I remember enrolling and going over to City, and I and I saw some. They had some monsters. They had a great offensive line. They had some some skilled players, uh, great DBs, D linemen. So they had some studs. And um, I just remember the off season, you know, uh, coming in, and I wasn't sure because there was another big chapter of my life when I found out my mom had cancer in 1998. So I actually found that out on my way back from Oregon State. And my brother told me that my mom had cancer. So uh, that was a big punch to the gut. You know, I didn't really know at night in 1998, you know, as a young 18 year old kid, you think the worst you think, all right, my mom is about to pass away. And so I wasn't really sure if I wanted to even play ball again. And this is where things kind of changed for me. Uh, after I found out my mom had cancer and we talked and 
she says, look, son, you know, I'm going to be okay. Uh, just follow your dream, go out and play. I'm going to be there to support you and everything else. And so, um, you know, that was a big decision for me if I wanted to play or not. And so once I made that decision uh, to go back to school and go back to Sacramento City College and enroll uh, that fall, and that's what I did. Yeah, that's huge. You know, when you, uh, when you get news like that, especially with your mother, it, it actually changed uh, perspectives real quick. You know, the game of football or anything else in life at that point uh, is minimal, right? Oh, yeah. uh, it, it, so, uh, but also I think it was, it sounds like it was just as important for her to, you know, give you her blessings to continue, to, you know, to pursue and that she was going to be all right and gave you that reassurance, you know. If anything, it sounds like also it gave you uh, another why, another motiv motivating uh, factor to want to be successful. Right, right. I mean, it's important. I mean, I think a lot of us men out here, you know, we're all, we're all, uh, you know, mama boys. And so, I am. you know, <laughs> that's, I mean, exactly. I mean, and that's who I was around most of my life was around my mom. And so uh, I knew she was my rock. She was my support system. She was my everything. And so I knew, uh, you know, once I heard that news, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think. But then shortly thereafter, I knew something went off that I knew I had to follow my dream. I knew I had to do certain things throughout the next chapters of my life in order to change the direction of where I wanted my life to actually go and end up. And, um, you know, that was just one of the things that kind of catapulted me to where I wanted to go. And then once I got to City, you know, I was, you know, somewhat battling it out with a guy named Kevin Laird local quarterback played at El Camino and he had been in the system the year before. And so when I first got there, you know, coach Griff said, look, we're going to have you be our short yardage quarterback. And then you're going to be our receiver. I said, cool, that's fine with me. And so, you know, I started off the first, um, the first half of the season at receiver and shoot, I, I probably had over, you know, I don't know what it was. I could have been close to a thousand yards receiving and then he broke his wrist. Kevin Laird broke his wrist. And then once he broke his wrist, I played the next five games, um, had tremendous yards and did all this and that on the football field at quarterback. And then he came back for the bowl game that year. He played quarterback. I said, that's fine. He played quarterback. I'll go back to receiver. Did my thing at receiver uh, in the bowl game we won. And then after that, I played the next following season full-time quarterback. Because uh, junior college is one of those stepping stones where you kind of you you gotta you want to show respect, especially if you're a coach for a guy who comes in. You know he's a, the quarterback the year before because you only got two years to shine at a junior college, right? And so you want to take advantage and full advantage of that opportunity. And so um, I felt like it was right for him to to be the quarterback, and then I came back in and then played the the following season and was a JUCO All American and. And the rest was history at Sacramento City College after that. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know that. That I mean, you put up such phenomenal numbers at receiver that first year. Actually, that's one thing I was going to discuss with you, that you were, mm -hmm. you were, you were very versatile, you know, when it comes to uh, different skill sets and different right. uh, positions you were able to be productive at on the football field. And it's a very mature mindset that you had when it comes to, like you said, JUCO level. It is only two years. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Laird had already been in the system. Who, who was a you know, good quarterback, you know, polished quarterback. Right. And, um, yeah, you were able to have success. Uh, you know, at the opportunity, you know, the opportunity that, that was given to you, and then like you come back sophomore year, you know, had a breakout season, you know, twenty eight mm -hmm. plus hundred yards, eighteen touchdowns, you led the team, you know, to an eight and two record, 
Uh, you know, so it, it and, and, and you actually had shown that the year prior when you, when you had your chance. So that wasn't too much of a surprise for people when it comes to right. you know, the, the success you had your sophomore year. So take me through that. So your sophomore year uh, concludes at, at Sac City, eight and two record, you know, great mm-hmm. season, put up, you know, good numbers. I mean, phenomenal numbers. Uh, talk to me about the recruitment once it opened up from there uh, when it comes to the schools that were looking at you before, you know, you eventually picked Iowa State, as we all know. But what, what, how was the recruitment uh, looking like at that point after your, your sophomore right. year concluded? No, I mean, it was, it was looking good. It was different. It was a lot different because the vision started to set in on, hey, you know, I actually, you know, go, can go to the next level, uh, be D1 or whatever, and play quarterback. You know, I mean, because like I said earlier, I wasn't a polished quarterback. You know, even going into my, my first year at Sacramento City College and part of my sophomore year at City College, I was still an athlete displaying a position. I got some great coaching from Jared Brown, who's a good friend of mine um, and a, was a quarterback coach there. He played at UNLV. So that was actually the true first time I actually got uh, coached on the position. And so, you know, I, I, I went in, did my thing. Like I said, still an athlete playing a position. And, you know, I started getting, you know, all these looks and still at the same time, there were still schools, a lot of Pac-10 schools that still wanted me to switch positions. And during that time, Big 12 was heavy on, you know, the Nebraska was still with Eric Krauts was still running a rock. They were still utilizing their quarterbacks and getting them out on the edge and using their skill set for the position. And so a lot of Big 12 schools came calling Missouri, Iowa State, Nebraska, um, K-State, a lot of those schools came uh, came calling. And so uh, I just remember going through that recruiting process. It was a lot different than it was, uh, you know, when I was going through high school because I was a lot more mature. Um, I knew at that point what position I wanted to play. And obviously that was quarterback. And so um, I didn't really fool around a lot with the, the Pac-10 schools because, like I said before, you know, during that era, they were looking more for a pro-style quarterback. They were looking for the Joey Harrington's of the world and the Jake Plummers and the quarterbacks that can sit in the pocket, more rangier quarterbacks. Uh, so I knew that the Pac-10 really wasn't going to be somewhat of a fit for me unless it was, you know, uh, Marcus Tuiasosopo at, at Washington. They utilized his skill set. Obviously, Oregon still had a little bit, you know, they had Achilles Smith, but they were still looking for bigger style quarterbacks. And so uh, it came down to K-State. Missouri and Iowa State and obviously I, I remember going to uh, Coach Nelly recruited me from uh, from Iowa State he was a recruiter that had the West Coast and so um, took my trips to these schools had a blast obviously had a great time in Ames and uh, I just remember I mean they had a quarterback by the name of Sage Roosevelt who played in the league as well uh, he left and he was a senior and um, they didn't really have a really a true backup and Dan McCartney was a head coach and they knew they needed some instant gratification for whoever came in at the position and he needed a change. And a lot of, you know, uh, coaches do that. They go out and look for, you know, Juco uh, players to kind of give them, they need some instant stuff. They don't need to kind of groom and get a high school quarterback. And so he, he was heavy on junior college at the time. And so, Came down to Iowa State and K-State and, you know, it was me, Juco All-American. There was a guy named um, uh, something Dunn who ended up signing with K-State at the last minute. And I waited it out. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, it was a great, 
turnout for me to go to Iowa State because they had a lot of returners coming back on the offense side of the ball. Absolutely, and it gave you an opportunity, uh, you know, once you got there to play right away. You know, you didn't have to right. wait. Uh, speak, so Iowa State, let's talk about that. So what was your, mm-hmm. you know, what was your biggest adjustment uh, to, you know, big time D1 football, because big 12, that's big time football right there. So yeah. uh, what, one, what was your biggest adjustment to that level? Because it sounded like the transition into JC was uh, pretty smooth. What, what was the, you know, yeah. biggest adjustment to D1 uh, football at big 12, as well as uh, what was your biggest transition of being away from home? You know, you obviously uh, you're, not in, you're not in California. Talk to me about that. Man, that transition was terrible. Uh, I'm just gonna keep it 100. I mean, because obviously, <laughs> you coming from you, co- I'm coming from the West Coast, right? And I, I transferred in. I was a mid-year transfer, so I think I transferred in in November. And obviously, we live in the Valley. We lived in Rancho, right? Yes. And, you know, we were what an hour away from some snow to get to Tahoe, and yeah. it rarely dropped below. You know, we had some nights where it can get you know maybe low 20s or something like that, upper 20s. But it, I mean, I got out there in November into Ames, Iowa. Oh boy. And I remember flying in, not knowing what I was getting myself into. I'm flying in, I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, all right, I'm going off to college. You know what I mean? I'm going to live in the dorms for a few months. Cool. But when I get there, I fly all the way across the country. They don't, they, they, they lose my luggage. So, I don't know what airline it was. It was like America West or whatever when they existed, but I lost my luggage. So I'm out there in the middle of nowhere in Ames, Iowa. I have no luggage. I have no clothes. Uh, obviously, I don't know nobody. And I'm going into the dorms, and I got a roommate who's coming from Texas. And his name is Jeremy Lloyd. So I'm like, who is this cat? I got to know who this dude is. And so he doesn't show up because he's late. He was driving in from Texas. And um, so I'm trying to hunt up, you know, and try to find stuff for my room because I have no sheets. I have no blankets. I have nothing. And so that was the first start of it. And then the next day I got up, they're like, look, you got to meet us at Jake. All right. What's the Jacobson building? Oh, well, that's where we meet. That's where everything is. Okay, cool. How am I get there? And so they're like, well, there's a bus, the Cy, uh, the Cyhawk bus is right outside, right when you get outside of the, uh, the building. So I said, all right, cool. So I got up early the next morning. And mind you, it's in the middle of November. It's about 10 degrees outside. And I don't have oh, man. no coat, no nothing. And it had been snowing. This is the first time I was introduced to black ice. So I'm walking out and I'm walking down these little steps and... I take the wrong step with the left foot, shoot, and my feet come from up under. <laughs> I mean, I'm vertical in the air, and bam, I land straight up on my on my back. I mean, you don't you don't see oh, it. And I, that, that was the first time I was introduced to it. So that was all within the first two days. So I'm like, man, I don't know about all this. I don't know. So I get on the bus. I get over <laughs> to the building, and you know, we start in spring ball in like uh, I think it was like a month or something like that. I think spring ball started in March or whatever. Um, but we outside and I'm like, all right, well, cool. And it's still cold outside at this point. It's still freezing. So I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. And back then they gave us some old, we had some like Russell or Rydell gray cotton <laughs> shorts or something like that, you know, looking like some penitentiary outfits. And I remember, because we were the only school really like on the, the north side or the west side of the Mississippi, whatever it was, that didn't have an indoor facility. So we outside practicing. And I go outside 
And immediately I'm like, oh, no, nah, no. Nah. So my roommate, <laughs> Jeremy Lloyd, had to talk me into staying in Ames at Iowa State. You know, oh, wow. when I first got there. Yeah, he talked me into staying. And it wasn't like it was that, it was that bad. Was I homesick? Maybe a little bit. I mean, because the transition was a lot different than what I expected. But it turned out to be the best uh, decision I ever made. When it comes to uh, on the field, uh, how was the transition when it comes to on the field uh, playing yeah, that level yeah. that level of football? Well, the transition was a lot different. I mean, obviously from high school to junior college, I mean, there's not a set regiment, you know. I mean, you, yeah, you got some some programs. And back then it wasn't really heavy, especially on the lifting part of it, right? And so once I got to Iowa State and really realized how important it was to be in the weight room, that's when things started to change physically for me. Uh, you know, for me to be able to do some of the things that I envisioned doing on the football field, because that was a big transition. I mean, obviously, the speed of the game was a lot different, you know, uh, but with my skill set, it allowed me to kind of make my impact early because I was more of a mobile quarterback. Uh, you know, I had to understand playing within the pocket, understanding reads and all those different things once I got there. But, you know, the, the weight room and then obviously being in the classroom help accelerate my, my skill set on the football field. And so once I did all that and had that spring and it had some time to kind of bulk up a little bit and kind of be introduced to the weight room, I mean, shoot, the spring game was like money. I mean, that was just the icing on the cake. I mean, from day after that, I mean, the position was mine. Absolutely. And you didn't, you didn't waste any time, you know, uh, making your impact there. You know, your junior year, getting you off to, you know, you had a great year. You're a newcomer yeah. of the year in, in the conference. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what were, you know, thinking about it now, what were some of your highlights that first year there uh, at Iowa State? Man, we, I mean, we had a lot. I mean, obviously, when you grow up, you know, like I said before, when you grow up idolizing guys like Tommy Frazier and you idolize and you see in all these teams, I mean, back then, Iowa, and they still are, they're always, they were always on TV. Iowa, Nebraska, um, in Notre Dame, I felt like on the West Coast for us, we always saw them. So when you're actually face to face with these teams that you grew up watching, the Texas and the Oklahomas, I mean, it's surreal. You know, you're like, damn, I'm getting ready to face off at Nebraska. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just getting done playing, you know, Juco ball. And so now, you know, and obviously, too, with, with the rivalry stuff, you don't really realize how important that is you know, for Iowa, Iowa State rivalry. I didn't know yeah. that about that. And so, and that first year, you had to think about, that was September 11th when it happened. That was wow. my first year at Iowa State. And so that same weekend, we're supposed to play our rivalry game. And you hear all about it. That's what we really was. I mean, the first game was against you and I. You know, I, I go for, you know, I run for 150, 160, whatever it is, two touchdowns through for, I think, a buck 80 or something like that whatever it was so that was what it was but the the big matchup and it didn't matter what either team did after that because there's no other sports teams major sports teams in Iowa so they all lived the whole state lived for that Iowa Iowa State matchup and so that was supposed to be at Ames at our place and uh, September 11th happened I still remember walking out of the weight room and seeing it up on the screen and so we had to postpone that game. So when we postponed that, when that was pushed all the way back until Thanksgiving. And um, I just remember, you know, some of the highlights, you know, playing at Nebraska, 
you know, playing at Texas A&M, you know, where the crowd is, is rocking side by side, but, you know, you look up and you're playing in front of, you know, 65, 70,000 where, you know, you come from junior college, you playing in front of, you know, we might have a, <laughs> 500 people or something like that. So that was the big, that was a big change. And I think, you know, it was tough, you know, playing in Nebraska, but the numbers were, you know, outstanding. I mean, I still, you know, that's what kind of catapulted me to be in the Heisman vote and the Heisman race going into my senior year. Yeah, you, you definitely uh, showed that you belong. Uh, you know, your, your name was getting out there. Um, you create, you're creating that buzz, not only in the conference, but, you know, all throughout college football. Right. Uh, rolling into your senior year, what were some team goals or some personal goals you had for yourself, uh, being that you came off such a successful junior year? What were some specific, uh, you know, team goals and personal goals that you guys had going into that year? Right. Well, I think we just wanted to stay together. You know, we wanted to build off of what we had our junior year. And obviously, again, just like my mindset was when I got to City College, I had two years to kind of, you know, make my name and, and to represent my, my last name on the back of that jersey. So I knew going into my senior year uh, was going to have to be a big one. Um, you know, the buzz, like, I, like you said before, was created. Now I'm up for the Heisman, right? People are talking about me. And now we have one of the toughest schedules in college football. So, and a lot of people don't know that, you know, and, and, and we had a big bullseye on the back of us, you know, shoot, we come from, you know, we went to a bowl game where we, we pretty much should have upset Alabama and our field goal kicker missed a field goal at the end of the game and we ended up losing. I don't remember what the final score was, but Nebraska ended up beating us. I mean, not Nebraska, but Alabama ended up beating us by like two. Alabama. Yeah. The field goal would have, would have, you know, had us get the victory. So we end up losing to Alabama in the Independence Bowl. So we come back uh, going into my senior season and uh, we starting off with Florida State, who's like number three, I think, at the time in the Eddie yep. Robinson kickoff classic. And yep. we're the only game on TV, you know. So back then, everybody tuned in to watch us. And so we playing at Arrowhead and we come out, you know, I, I think I threw a pick six early. Uh, dude made a hell of a play, but then we end up battling back and everybody's like, damn, Iowa State is, is coming back. I mean, cause Florida State was up on us. I think 14, nothing at some point or something like that, maybe 17, nothing. And then we end up coming back. We got some turnovers. We turned those into points. And so now all of a sudden fourth quarter, we still got the game close. And so, uh, I still remember everybody still talks about I was in. Every time I go back to Iowa, I don't care. There's going to be three things that those fans always talk about. I was in <laughs> against Florida State, uh, the run against Texas Tech, yep. and the, the big comeback we had against the University of Iowa at Iowa that same year. So, you know, I, I dove in the end zone with, with probably 10 seconds left. Back then, they didn't have pylon cam, but if they had pylon cam, we upset Florida State week one, right? Right. And yeah. so, you know, we just wanted to build off of what we and what we did. And I wanted to build off what, you know, what I kind of set as a standard for myself was obviously, yeah, you, you want to be a Heisman candidate. That was done. I wanted to win the Heisman. And that was my next goal and get us to another bowl the next season. So we uh, we started off hellacious. We started off strong, man. We went to University of Iowa again, like I said. We were down 24-6 at halftime. We come back. We beat them. Um, we, we had uh, some games against Baylor where I went 
20, 20 or 22. I think it was still a record. Yeah. Uh, I had all-purpose game against Missouri. Uh, but when I said before, we had the toughest schedule, man. We played Florida State, who was number three. We played at Iowa, who ended up going to the Orange Bowl, and the only loss was against us. We played Nebraska. We played K-State at K-State. We played Colorado at Colorado. We played Texas at Texas. We played Oklahoma at Oklahoma. And this is back when the, the Big 12 was legit. And so yeah. we had to play all those teams on the road. The only teams we played at home was like Oklahoma State, Baylor, Kansas. And um, it was one other team we played at home, Missouri. But outside of that, we were on the road, man. So we had a tough schedule, a really tough schedule. Led the Heisman race for eight weeks that, that season, I believe. And yeah. uh, ended up struggling down the stretch. Ended up going to a bowl game. Sorry, humanitarian bowl against uh, Boise State at their own place. <laughs> and uh, I think we ended up we – ended up, we were at 6-1 and one at one point. Six yeah, no, one. I was going to say after that Florida State game, which was, like you said, was, that was a, that was a, a thriller, 38-31. Yeah. It was close. You guys right. won six straight. And like you said, every one of those games – you put up, you know, legitimate numbers, everything, yeah. whether, whether it was running, passing, both, uh, you know, that's the reason why for a while you were actually, I would say, one of the top two candidates for that Heisman uh, trophy, yeah. at the, you know, at that point. And then that schedule kicked in, like you said. I mean, I believe you guys went like 500 that year, but with that, with yeah. that, type, of, with that type of schedule, uh, you know, it, it would have been really tough for any team, to be honest with you, to, to maintain, you know, a legitimate record with that type of schedule you guys had. Right. Also, like you said, the, the bulk of it being road games, you know, that's nothing that's tough. Yeah, so. but we were. Hey, quick break here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. We'll get you right back to it. We just want to spend a few seconds to talk about Panda Commission. Panda Commission is a digital marketing agency that helps online businesses increase profits by designing high converting sales funnels. If you need more leads and sales for your business, you need to be intentional about telling stories that convert customers into buyers. From logo design and branding to sales funnel design and funnel optimization, Panda Commission is a one-stop shop for building your online empire. So go check it out at pandacommission.com and be sure to tell them that Strahan sent you. We weren't built like that. You know, we didn't have a yeah. team. Uh, you know, Coach Mack was still trying to build that program. And we didn't we didn't have enough depth at some, certain positions. I remember playing at Iowa. Hell, I had an offensive guard that had the plays written on his, on his wristband. So we didn't have enough depth to go in and beat the Oklahomas, the Texas, the K-States, the Colorados. All these teams are, you know, top 15, top 25 teams. And we just weren't built that way to go on the road and beat those teams. Not at that point. No, I, I get you. I get you. Talk to me about this. Like you said, you've alluded to it. We talked about it. Let's talk about the play, the run, which is it's one thing that, you know, it's one of the – you know, iconic plays in college football history. We'll call it what it is. Uh, right. Talk to me about that play, man. I, I mean, I've heard you in a, I don't know if it was an interview or what have you, but you, uh, you do a really good job of describing it for someone that has not, just say someone who hasn't not seen it, even the, even the way you describe it, they could mm -hmm. visualize it. So take me through that play. Well, man, shoot. First of all, I mean, that was a, a hell of a night. I mean, the game was on <laughs> TBS. We, we were playing against Texas Tech, and I think we were – Texas Tech was 17, we were 12 or something, I don't know. But I had been had a camera crew following me around for a week for MTV. And uh, it was the life of a Heisman. 
So that whole week was crazy. You know, I had my boys, Sean, Derek, Willie, all these dudes, Lawan. Uh, I can't remember. It was like 12 of my buddies all came to Ames, Iowa. Obviously, the first time for a lot of them. Coco got on the Greyhound, and he rode the Greyhound <laughs> out there. So it was the first time for a lot of them dudes really, you know, going to the Midwest like that and seeing that culture. So the week was crazy. It was fun, man. And then to cap it off on TBS on a Saturday night game against Texas Tech. And so, um, you know, Texas Tech was battling. We were both battling, but we were hitting them over the head. We had some great plays. Lane Danielson had a reverse up the sideline that went for like 65 yards. And um, so we were kind of thumping them. We were kind of going back and forth with them. And Cliff Kingsbury was a quarterback who was the head coach at, at uh, Arizona. And Wes Welker was in the slot. So they had some talented players. And so I still remember this, you know, particular play that everybody loves is, you know, we're going in, we're probably on Texas Tech's 15, going in to score, 15 or 20. And uh, we call a play that's pretty much, I drop back three steps, I'm throwing a hitch to my left. And Jamal Montgomery is one of the receivers to the left. And Jamal always kind of busted plays, busted routes. (laughs) <laughs> and on this particular play, he busted it. He ran the wrong route, and I dropped back, and I pump. And the deep end kind of jumps up in the air, and I pump because I'm thinking, like, all right, well, he was going to stop, but he didn't. So I pump, the deep end jumps. And now after that, my Sac City, Cordova, Jets, all that stuff, <laughs> kicks me, right? So now I'm reverting back just to my skill set. I'm like, all right, look, I'm just going to make a play. So I drop back, you know, I kind of scramble back to kind of give myself some space from the line of scrimmage to try to see if I can, you know, maybe find a target downfield. And so as I'm doing that, I'll start to scramble and move to my right. So as I'm moving to my right, I, I feel the flow kind of letting up, the defensive flow. So they're not really flying and pursuing towards me to the sideline. And so as I drop back 15, 20 yards, whatever it was, scrambling towards my right, I start to feel the pursuit slow down. So then I kind of like, all right, well, shoot, maybe I can hit this gap with my speed on the sideline and maybe burst up field and maybe get an extra 10, 15 yards and get back to the line of scrimmage. So as I do that, they're still kind of slowing down. And I now I feel the pursuit kind of getting behind me. So as I burst up field for about 10, 15 yards, now I cut back towards the left. So as I make the cut back towards the left, I'm starting to pick up blocks and I'm filling a lane where now all of a sudden, shoot, I might be able to score. So at this point, I'm already, I'm a full, I'm a full runner at this point. And so I'm cutting back. So I get a couple good blocks from Michael Wagner. And I get another block as I'm getting escorted into the end zone by the dude who busted the route, Jamal Montgomery. And so he escorts me into the end zone. And what's crazy, the reason why I said about the whole, you know, life of a Heisman candidate and my boys being there, they're all standing in the end zone you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> experiencing the moment with me. And so that's what made that run even crazier for me because, you know, I had my boys there to experience that and hear, you know, 50, 60,000 fans just screaming. And, um, you know, it was a for a 15 yard touchdown, I ran like 112 yards or something like that. That's amazing, man. And yeah. for for maybe just the five people in the world that haven't seen it, <laughs> all I'll do is uh, for uh, – 
under the under the details of the podcast, I'll put a link for to the video of it so you guys can see oh, if you haven't seen YouTube. it. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> hey, I, I think you're right. I think it's about 720p now. I think, I think it's yeah. somewhat decent. Oh, so, yeah, it is terrible. Hey, uh, so talk to me then. Uh, at the conclusion of your college career, you know, uh, mm-hmm. how are you feeling about your chances when it comes to going to the NFL, uh, you know, the combine, the draft? Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you had a great senior season there. Mm-hmm. Like you said, t- t- tough, you know, it was a tough go around, you know, how it concluded, you know, you, yeah. uh, the team, the team did struggle, but you right. yourself still had a, you know, had a good season. Um, how were you feeling, you know, going into uh, the draft? Well, you know, you, as you're, when you're hot, you know, I mean, you got all, you know, I'm getting agents calling me left and right. You know, it was crazy. I'm getting agents calling me every day. And as we started to kind of struggle down the stretch, now all of a sudden, you know, you're not getting uh, the Lee Steinberg's calling you that much anymore, which obviously Lee Steinberg was a big name back then. Correct. And so, you know, I start getting to that process and that point of trying to figure out who is going to be my agent. So I had to find an agent. And um, I ended up going uh, with a guy, uh, two guys, Don Yee and Steven Dubin, called Yee and Dubin Sports. And those guys were really consistent throughout the process. You know what I mean? Even even when I was hot, they would contact me. They weren't, you know, bothering me that much, but they would subtly, you know, send a text or send a, um, you know, a, a call or whatever the case may be. And so I liked how they kind of moved. And they obviously had and represented a lot of players they're Tom Brady's agent. They had a lot of great players. And so starting to figure out who I wanted to, to represent me through the process. And at the same time, you know, you start to figure out, okay, where am I going to train? Obviously training now is a lot bigger uh, than what it was when I was coming out, but, you know, prepping guys and getting ready for the combine, which I knew my strong suit. Obviously I felt like I was going to blow the doors off at the 40 and do other things at the combine and do those great. Uh, my biggest thing was obviously I had to deal with the scrutiny of being a black undersized quarterback. And so, you know, uh, I got invited to all the bowl games. The senior bowl was a top dog. Obviously I grew up going to the East West Shrine game and I, that was my dream to always play in the East West Shrine. That's uh, awesome. East Palo Alto, but I got invited to it and uh, I ended up getting hurt my, in the bowl game. Obviously that kind of hurt me too. I uh, got heart in the bowl game. So I was on the shelf for a little bit with a hyperextension of my knee. And um, so I just said, you know what, you know, uh, my agents were like, look, you know, we got a guy out and um, he was right over uh, in the Bay Area that a lot of guys, Octagon Sports, they, they send a lot of guys over there. And his name is Thomas to train. So uh, you guys can go there and train if you like. All right, cool. So I went, tested it out for about a week. At the same time, I'm like, all right, shoot, I only got um, two classes to graduate. So I think it's more important for me just to go back to school, train with my strength coach there at the school, and finish off the two classes. So I ended up leaving after a week and uh, started prepping there at Iowa State and getting ready for it. So I had some private coaches and some private things go on, some individual, uh, you know, training sessions that I had with some scouts or whatever. And then end up going to uh, the combine, did my thing at the combine. And, uh, you know, you're still going to have guys and teams saying, hey, I need you to run routes. Charlie Casserly blasted me in an article talking about I'll probably never make it as a pro because I don't want to run routes. And uh, I just stuck to what I knew uh, what I wanted to do. And that was obviously be a quarterback. And, 
You know, it, it just takes that one team to give you that opportunity. And that one team was uh, Seattle Seahawks drafted me. And I had a lot of guys in front of me that got drafted. I mean, obviously, we were a deep draft class that year with Rex Grossman, Byron Leftwich, Carson Palmer, Kyle Bowler, Ken Dorsey, Dave Ragone, Chris Sims. So we had a lot of studs in that draft class. That's a deep class. That's a deep class. Oh, yeah. Cliff Kingsbury, Brian St. Pierre. So I remember all these names. Um, you know, but for me, you know, I, I, I think I was the number, I was pick 110, but out of quarterbacks, I was supposed to get drafted right at the end of the third round to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with John Gruden. I still remember mm. taking my trip there, um, but they still had Chris Sims on the board. So Chris Sims got drafted right before me. So I was like the very first, like the, the very first couple picks of the fourth round beginning on that next day. So he had beat me by a couple picks. Um, but, you know, the rest was history. I think it all worked itself out. I went to a great place with a great coach, great organization with the Seattle Seahawks, and they gave me the opportunity to be that quarterback. And, uh, you know, I don't regret anything about going and getting drafted to Seattle. So how was that feeling, though? So, you know, all, all that work that you have done, uh, you know, a, a dream that now has come to fruition, uh, you know, how was it? Uh, once you got drafted and knowing that, you know, you're uh, an official, you're an official NFL player. I mean, how, how was that feeling? Oh man, it was outstanding, man. I mean, you just think about how fast time flies when I was, you know, going to junior college and then all of a sudden I'm up for the Heisman in college. And then all of a sudden I'm drafted. And within those, you know, four short four and a half years, you know, your life changed. I mean, I still remember the first time that I was getting checks, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I wasn't even drafted yet. Yeah. And I'm, I'm signing cards. And, um, you know, my agent was like, look, we got these card deals for you. I'm like, all right, cool. What's the card deals? You know, I'm thinking like, all right, I don't know what that is. All right. We're going to send you, you for every card that you sign, you getting like $5, $10 or whatever it is. So, all right. So how many cards do I got to sign? Oh, well, you got this, 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 and this. So, and obviously back then cars were, I mean, they still are, but you know, only got like two companies back then. They had about eight of them, eight to 10 of them. So I had almost, I had almost every company sending me cars and I'm, I'm signing like I had my wife <laughs> signing cars. So I think I had maybe about, I must've signed, I don't know, 15, 20,000 cars, dude. And so gotcha. I, I made like almost a hundred thousand dollars before I was drafted just off signing cards. So that was a lot of money for a player, for a guy coming from Rancho. And the show. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing checks coming in, you know what I mean? Five, 10 grand at a pop. So that was like the big change. I mean, when you get drafted, obviously, but when you start seeing those, those, that money coming in at uh, the amount that it was, I mean, that's a big change. And, but you also got to be humble. You got to be smart with what you do and, yeah, I was excited to get drafted. I still remember being at home at my brother's house in Oak Grove, just laying on the couch and seeing that, that 425 number come across my phone. And, uh, you know, Mike got on the phone and said, hey, we're drafting you. You're going to be a quarterback, strictly a quarterback, not coming in to play a different position. And that's what you're going to learn to do. And I'm like, all right, let's get it. So it was a great opportunity for me to go there to, a, to that organization. And, uh, you know, I'm very thankful for that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And obviously you got to, you uh, learn firsthand when it comes to the business aspect of it, you know, which is good. Um, and uh, you've always seemed to have always took that in stride and really, uh, you know, 
uh, took it upon yourself to really educate yourself on, on all the different processes of this being a professional player, right? Because it is more than just being on the field. Oh, um, and so talk to me about this. First two years in the league, uh, you know, when it comes to learning the NFL system and being able mm -hmm. to be mentored by Matt Hasselback, you know, mm -hmm. uh, how was that, you know, you know, being the first two years, limited playing time, you know, right. learning, learning from, a, you know, an established quarterback like, like Matt. Talk to me about yeah. that. No, I mean, it was, it, it was difficult because as a competitor, you want to, you want to be able to get that opportunity to play. Um, but the learning curve was so different, you know, I mean, it was totally different from what I was used to coming out of college. You know, the terminology was a lot different. I mean, a typical play was like you shift to change left slot, sprint right, GU corner, halfback, flat. And you had to understand <laughs> everything about that. You had to understand protections. You had to understand coverages. You got to understand leverage. You got to understand blitz checks. You got to understand rotation. You got to understand everything about playing a position. And it's a lot. And if you're not, um, you know, polished as I was not coming out of college, um, you know, you're going to have a huge learning curve, a huge learning curve. So that was the big thing for me was being able to understand the position and understanding how to be a pro. Um, I was not at, at pro caliber. Um, you know, obviously there's people that talk about, you know, the, the, the game has changed obviously from where it is now. Uh, could have been a first rounder if I came out now. I mean, they're giving guys like myself opportunities to play. Um, they also will now tailor the offense to what your strong suits are. Back when I was playing, it was not. You know, I had to come in and conform myself to be in the Seattle Seahawks offense, which was the West Coast offense of what Mike ran. So it wasn't like, hey, we're going to use your skill set and give you and build this offense around you. You got to learn our system. It was the same thing for Matt Hasselback. You know, he had to do the same thing was in Green Bay, and then Mike tra uh, traded for him. He had to learn his system. And – it was a big learning curve for me, big learning curve. But, you know, after I grasped that and understood how it was to be a pro, how to study and do all those different things, uh, you know, it was it, the transition in the game started to slow down for me. Gotcha. And we're, we're, we're definitely going to hit on that because, uh, you know, a lot of people have always mentioned your name as the one that came before his time. Uh, like you had mentioned, you have the Russell Wilsons, the Kyler Murrays out there, the, you know, the, the, the shorter athletic quarterbacks that are dual threats, run, uh, pass, uh, you know, the, the Lamar Jackson, that they, they tailor the whole offense around, right? right. And that, that wasn't happening when you were playing, you know? No, uh, in fact, I, I would go, in fact, you know what, we could talk about it right now. Actually, I would go as far as to say if, you know, because you had a phenomenal career, but if, if you were to have come out of the draft right now in the way, mm -hmm. the, way the game's played, I was thinking about this before we actually did the pod on what I was going to say. I, I, I was going to say top 10, but I actually thinking about, I think you would have been a top five pick. Yeah. I think you would have been a top five pick. I mean, because uh, you are the ideal quarterback right now. I mean, that's right. what the, all these offense are, 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 you know, are built around. And maybe I'm a little biased, you know, because uh, you, know, <laughs> no, no. you are who you are and, and you're from the Cho and everything else. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I feel you're better than Kyler Murray. I mean, Hey, right. they can at, at me if they want, inbox me, whatever you want to do, man. Do what you want. I'm going to ride with sin. But the thing is this, I, I, I honestly think you would have been a top five quarterback in, in this day in NFL, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's totally different because there's these kids have a lot of resources. Uh, I'm one of the resources now. You know, yeah. when I say that, there's, there's kids, these kids are, are so groomed and so polished by the time they get to even, by the time they're senior year in high school. 
And so the spread system and different things and being able to be trained, I mean, Kyler Murray is trained by his dad. His dad does a phenomenal job out here, and he's a, a quarterback coach. He's been doing it for a long time, and he was a stud. So you can tell the way that he kind of handled himself, and when he was – obviously the dude was a Gatorade player of the year three years in a row. Um, but these kids nowadays, they come in, they're coming into college so much more polished. They got a lot more resources, um, the training. You got all this Elite 11 stuff. There's a lot more different things now that they did not have when I was playing. So that's one thing. I mean, obviously too, like I said, they're being able to, they're tailoring, you know, doing the systems around what these kids bring to the table, the Mahomes of the world. I mean, if I think about a lot of the stuff that Pat Mahomes does on the football field, a lot of that stuff is unconventional. It's not like he's doing it with his team and within Correct. the system of the game, right? And Correct. so uh, they, all their big plays, him out of the, uh, the pocket, improvising them, just slinging the ball down the football field. Yeah, he has a hell of an arm. He's athletic. But even when you go back and you look at what my numbers were at the combine, I think I still had the fourth fastest time in the 40. Yep. Out of guys who actually played the position. I mean, Greg Jones, I think his name was, he played receiver, didn't even play quarterback in the league. And then um, Reggie McNeil is another guy who didn't even play in the league. But after that, you know, you got me, RG3. Mike Vick didn't run his. And people say Lamar Jackson, he didn't run his. But who knows? But I still have the fourth fastest time. You're talking broad jump. You're talking, you know, the 5-10-5. So the skill set was there. Now, obviously, you just needed to be able to have a team like Seattle to be able to say, hey, we're going to mold around you. We're going to do our system on what your skill set is. But that wasn't what people did back then. And nowadays they do. Um, there's not a lot as, as money that is, uh, you know, you're seeing guys like Josh Rosen, for example. Josh Rosen was drafted in the first round, what, four years ago or five years ago? He's already yeah. going on his third team. Yeah. So yeah. that, that stuff doesn't, it doesn't happen. I mean, they kept guys around longer. There's a lot more turnover now than what it was back when I was playing. Also, I mean, when it comes to like the Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, you're seeing a lot, these quarterbacks have a lot more autonomy. You know, like you said, they, they opened it up, uh, you know, for these guys so they could, they could use that creativity. They could use all, you know, their skill sets. Mm -hmm. um, and that just was unfortunately something, you know, when you entered the league that you weren't, uh, you know, you weren't blessed enough and fortunate enough to have because it just wasn't happening at that time, you know? Uh, um, think about it. Think about all the stuff that if you go back and you look at those quarterbacks, I mean, yeah, Vic came in and he changed the game. I mean, obviously, because he was a first-round draft pick. And they just said, you know what, we just go and utilize this dude's skill set on what he did. The problem with Vic is that he never evolved to where he needed to be. He could have been in the league a lot longer. His skill set was phenomenal. I mean, there's nobody else that would have touched his skill set. But at the same time, there was in areas that he did lack. I mean, even if you watch the, the, the documentary on him, he should have spent more time in the classroom to understand how to play the game within the position, you know, within the pocket. And no one could touch him when he got outside the pocket. Everybody knows that. But and his arm strength was there. His right. arm strength was there. Yeah. He just had to understand how to play the game the right way and so um that was just one thing that you know us as black quarterbacks that was a scrutiny that was things that we had to learn on how to play the position the right way within the pocket and play within the systems that we were in yeah no absolutely and then one thing also uh that we haven't mentioned but those very you know critical when it comes to what made made you different made you different is that 
you are one of the more accurate passers out there too. You know, that's another aspect right. of it, you know? So uh, I hear you on all that, man. Let's, let's just real quick before we move on, let's get to, I, I do want to talk about this, the 2008 season when you actually did get an opportunity to mm -hmm. showcase your skills. You, you know, you started eight games through over 1500 mm -hmm. yards uh, through 11 touchdowns, only three interceptions. You know, mm -hmm. how did that feel being able to, you know, finally get a consistent time being able to showcase, you know, what you can do? Man, I mean, it felt good, you know, I mean, under the circumstances of, you know, uh, when you're going out and you're playing, I mean, obviously we had a lot of guys banged up. We didn't have the full arsenal of players. You know, I didn't have the, the Pro Bowl Hall of Famer left tackle, um, you know, so you, you're playing in some different circumstances, but at the same time, you're just going to take your opportunities and you're going to run with them. And so uh, that season felt really good. I mean, it really did to get back out there and just to be playing. Um, we did some great things. I mean, I played on a great team. You know, we had uh, went to the Pro Bowl. I mean, not the Pro Bowl, but the Super Bowl a couple of years before that. So we had we had established and really worked hard to get to where we were. And so obviously my growth as a quarterback and understanding what, you know, I had to do when I stepped on the football field, you know, it had grew uh, to that point. And so I felt really good to get that opportunity to kind of get out there and kind of prove to everybody that I could do it. And I mean, obviously – too, you know, I, I signed three contract extensions with the Seattle Seahawks. That's why I was there for seven years. I mean, Mike knew exactly what he had in me and what I could bring to the table. Now, was it my fault for staying there as long as I did? Probably so. But at the same time, you know, I, I'm a Leo. I'm a loyal individual. Um, yep. And so, uh, you know, I was loyal to the team that drafted me and gave me the opportunity. And obviously after that, you know, I went to Cleveland where Mike traded for me and went there. And uh, ended up my career with the Green Bay Packers, man, where I was the first black quarterback ever in the history of the Packers franchise to start a regular season game. I was going to get to that, man. So <laughs> I, I know, I, which, which, by the way, as happy and as great of a feat that is for you, that's just astonishing for me to believe. You know, that's crazy right. to me that that was the case. And I know that, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, your, you know, your stay there was very short, you know, you had a season ending injury there, mm -hmm. but um, talk to me though. Cause I, I actually, that's, uh, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about is what did that mean to you though? Being able to, you know, make history. I, I mean, I, I get it. You know, the, uh, you right. know, the longevity of it didn't last long, but mm -hmm. you know, you're a part of history now when it comes to that and, you know, being the first African-American quarterback, you know, to start for them. What does that right. mean to you? It means a lot, man. I mean, obviously, yeah, like you said, I wanted it to go a different direction, but, you know, injuries are part of the game. You know, uh, I had hurt myself earlier uh, in that, uh, in that um, training camp, not with them, but with New Orleans where I tore my adductor. And I was told that either you have surgery or you let it heal naturally and then most likely it's going to happen again. So I let it heal. Um, thinking that I'll probably can get through it. I started to feel good. And then obviously when I signed with Green Bay, uh, with the intentions of knowing that I could probably kind of grasp the offense, which was totally different. It was a West Coast, but it was Mike McCarthy's system. And I had got there week one. So uh, I didn't know nobody's names. I didn't know nothing about Green Bay. Obviously the city, I knew about the Green Bay Packers because we played there almost every year, I felt like. And so um, – you know, Aaron or, or Brett Favre. Those are the two quarterbacks for 20-some-odd years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we go through the season. We're at week seven, I think it was. And then, obviously, Aaron breaks his collarbone against the Chicago Bears on Monday Night Football. And so I'm like, oh, shit. 
I got to go in the game. I don't know the system that well. It's week to week. You know, they do a lot of no huddle. And I'm still trying to figure out all these signals, man. So um, end up going in just in straight survival mode, just trying to trying to make it happen. Chicago had been playing well at that point with uh, Josh McCown out of all people. And, and uh, they were clicking on all cylinders for the most part. And we ended up going in. We scored, I think, 10 points. Uh, we ended up losing, I think, 17 to 10 or whatever it was because Aaron broke his collarbone early in the first series, I think, of that drive. And then you go in, you know, I'm getting ready for the week against Philadelphia, and the, the talk yeah. is all about, hey, man, shoot, you know, you're the first black quarterback ever to start a game. Think about that. And so it's it didn't crazy. really hit me. It didn't hit me. I'm like, wow, that is crazy. And at the same time, you know, I'm the first quarterback to start a game other than Brett Favre and, and Aaron Rodgers in 22, 25 years, whatever it was. I'm like, what? Wow. Wow. So, you know, uh, you're dealing with all that. And then obviously dealing with the fact of trying to understand the system and understand, you know, the philosophies that, you know, Mike McCarthy was trying to, uh, you know, that they already had going in place when I was there. So, you know, I go in and had a great week of practice, feeling good, feeling good about the game plan or whatever else. And uh, we go out five for five, boom, boom, boom. And, um, I come out, I do the same thing I did in New Orleans in training camp and uh, tore my adductor again. And it was crazy because I tore my other adductor in 2008 in a game mm. against Miami. Um, but I was able to keep playing with that because it was on the opposite leg. And I couldn't run, but I could drop and do everything <laughs> that I needed to do. And so this time I tore it on the other one. I couldn't, I couldn't push, I couldn't do anything. And so I felt bad. I was the oldest co uh, player on Green Bay Packers at the time. And I knew that that was probably my end uh, of my career at that point. Hey, uh, you know, like I said, I know you want to last longer, but at least there's history made on the way out. Uh, you know, when it comes to your career, uh, you know, definitely success anytime. I, I know my, my audience is going to get tired of me saying this, but anytime you're able to extend your career, you know, from high school to college, you know, and then with JC to, you know, mm -hmm. D1, Big 12, Heisman, hope, you know, he, I mean, not hope, a Heisman candidate, um, and then have a, you know, a nice tenured successful NFL career, man. I mean, you, you, you had success. Right. You were able to show your skill sets on the field when, when the opportunity, you know, arose. And it's, that's what you've mm -hmm. always done. You always had, you've always stepped up when you had the opportunity. Uh, you walked away from the game, uh, you know, very healthy, you know, everything in place, you know, especially with everything that, you, as you know, NFL players go through when it comes to post-career. You know, and uh, man, you had, you had, you had a lot, you know, you had a lot of success, you know. Um, one thing I, I do want to, I want to just get into really quick before, you know, we go and conclude here, man, is I want to talk about your post career because, yeah. um, man, you're doing some amazing things. Uh, I know you have some entrepreneurial ventures and you're still involved with football. And that's something that's, uh, you know, that's awesome to see because, you know, we see too many athletes, as you know, unfortunately, you know, once the, you know, their career is done, they, they have, <laughs> they have issues when it comes to the post-career aspect when it comes to right. really moving on to the next level or they're still used to you know getting that you know that stardom all that attention from what they did on the you know hardwood or the feet or no, you know on the football field or wherever mm -hmm. maybe baseball field uh but you're not one of those you're one of those individuals that's you know smart that definitely you know is striving uh you know post-career um so talk to me i know a couple things you could definitely fill in the stuff that i might be missing but i know you you uh you own a couple Wingstop franchises. So talk to me about that. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I started thinking about what I wanted to do with my post career. And, yeah. um, 
obviously, you know, you make money, you make a lot of money. You want to try to utilize that and be able to create generate uh, generational wealth Do that, you know? And so wanted to be able to pass down something to my kids. And so I started thinking about a few different things and I've, I've had a lot of conversations with individuals who uh, have dibble and dab in a lot of things. If it may be real estate or, you know, uh, kind of, partnered up with another group and kind of did certain things um, financially uh, to kind of help benefit them to kind of, kind of bridge that gap. And so um, I started looking into uh, franchising, man. And so obviously my legacy in Iowa was, is huge. And so, you know, and my name holds a little weight there. And so I started thinking about, you know, what did I want to do? And so I started looking at franchising and I looked at, uh, a bunch of different franchises. I looked at obviously Wingstop, of course, and that that kind of somewhat just kind of it didn't fall into my lap, but it was just crazy how it all came uh, into play. Uh, I'm, I was coaching and volunteering once I got done playing and just still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was volunteering at a private school here in Dallas. And uh, at the time, this is before they went public, but the the spokesman for Wingstop was Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman covered a lot of our games when I was playing. So I had a, I had a relationship with him for the most part. And so what was crazy is that Troy Aikman's kids went to the private school that I coached at. And so I would see him from time to time. One of the kids, one of my quarterbacks, um, his cousin uh, worked for Wingstop and I didn't know it. And so he was one of two people through the, uh, you know, through the franchise, uh, through the company that actually would give you your territorial rights. So I'm like, okay, I need to talk to this dude. So we had a conversation. I had a conversation with, with, uh, with him shortly. And I was just talking to him about how do I get those rights? You know, I want to try to get the rights to Iowa. And obviously there was a group kind of looking to get these rights. And so I talked to Troy Aikman, who was a spokesman, who obviously had a great relationship with Charlie, who was the CEO. And so he says, look, I'm going to put a word in. I'm going to reach out to Charlie and let him know that you're interested in Iowa. So I said, all right, cool. So literally, probably it was about two weeks later, um, I get the call and they're like, hey, do you want the rights to Des Moines? I said, yes, Des Moines, of course. And Des Moines, I mean, the whole state of Iowa, there's about two and a half million people. Des Moines has about, it's the capital. There's almost close to a million probably. It's like 900 some thousand people. So I own the territory in, in four counties outside of Des Moines and mm. uh, with those rights. And so I have four stores in Des Moines now uh, that are all mine. I have, um, you know, uh, I partnered up with another group courtesy of my boy Marlo, a uh, great friend, like I said, networking and just knowing people. I partnered up with a group and uh, we built our hotel in Ames, Iowa, which is a courtyard by Marriott, one of a kind. It's the only hotel of its kind in the whole country. It's called the Gen 6 model and it's in Ames, Iowa, out of all places. Wow. So, so that was awesome, a huge move. Yeah, we just opened that one up uh, about four months ago, I believe. Um, so, you know, I, I'm doing that. You know, I'm now currently coaching with the Dallas Cowboys. So I got my hand in a lot of different things, man. And so I'm, I'm truly, truly blessed uh, to be able to live this life that I have. And, uh, you know, uh, 
And, you know, I, I can't do it without my friends and my network of people that I have. Uh, and you go back and you talk about with social media and stuff like that. You know, I, a lot of people don't know what I'm doing, you know, and I somewhat like it that way. Uh, I'm not on social media like we talked about before. I don't post or brag about some of the things that I'm doing. But, you know, I, I got a lot of great things that are going on for me right now and for my family. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. No, man. That, like I said, congratulations on that. I'm glad to see, um, you know, uh, you having just, like I said, just as much success post-career as you did, you know, on the football field. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're able to use those same principles, same work ethic that you use, you know, that to be successful on the field, at, you know, off the field now and obviously paying it forward. You have a, you know, you have a family now. So this is something mm -hmm. that you could, uh, you know, be able to hand down, you know, uh, you know, teach the basic principles of entrepreneurship to, you know, to your kids. Uh, not, and I mean, what's nice about, you know, what you've been able to accomplish is, you know, my favorite definition of success is to find someone that has what you want and have them show you how they did it. And, and with you is that, you know, you've been able to be so successful um, in sports, you know, and as well as in business that, you know, your kids are going to have, you know, a great resource, you know, you're going to be able to, uh, you know, show them the way on whatever path they want to take, you know, to be successful, which is, you know, like I said, which is awesome. Just want to congratulate you on that once again. Yeah. Uh, I'll be remiss before, I, you know, I want to end with some fun Q&A, some random Q&A, but be before that, before that, I definitely want to congratulate you on a few things. Hall of Fame in the Rancho Cordova Sports Hall of Fame, Sac City Hall of Fame, and Iowa State Hall of Fame, man. Not all three I, of them. All three of them, man. <laughs> My goodness, man. So uh, not 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 bad for for a kid from the show, huh? Yeah, exactly right, man. I mean, that's yeah. that's exciting going into that and being able to celebrate that with your family, man. And, and you know, I, I remember because I went into the College Hall of Fame last last year at my college and be able to have that with my kids, man. I mean, to be able to have my son on my shoulders as, you know, daddy goes into all the fame, that meant the world to me. So to be able to experience, have them experience all these moments with me is, uh, that's, that's the reason why I continue to keep striving to be successful in business and whatever I do uh, from here on out, you know, cause I got to set a good example for them. Yeah, I know it's cliche, but it's truly priceless, right? Those, those type of moments, you know, they truly are priceless. Like I said, being able to share that, you know, with your kids. So, all right, Sin, I always end it with some fun rapid fire Q&A. I'm just going to ask you some questions, some random questions, just nothing too deep. Just go ahead and, uh, you know, answer the first thing that pops to your head, okay? Yeah. It's going to be kind of random mm -hmm. all over, man. Uh, who's your favorite QB of all time? Ooh, QB of all time? Oh, shoot. Uh, Randall Cunningham. Oh, man, that's mine, too. Uh, what are you listening to right now <laughs> in your headsets on the way to Dallas practice? What's in your AirPods? What's in your Beats? What are you listening to right now? The new Nas album. New Nas. Okay, okay. Uh, what mm -hmm. sport would you want your kids to play? I, I, and don't give me the PC answer either. What, what, what sport do you want your kids to play? Oh, I mean, shoot. I mean, obviously I want him to play football, you know, but as a, my five-year-old right now, he just got to understand the concepts of sports. Right now I got him playing everything. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. All right. Favorite Coach Jones saying for people who don't know who Coach Jones, Coach Jones is the, <laughs> is the Cordova coach for many, many years. What's your favorite Coach Jones saying? Oh, my favorite Coach Jones saying, oh, man, uh, pass and cut, pass and cut. That's all we ran. Everybody that know Coach Jones in basketball, that's all. pass and cut. Motion offense, pass and yeah. cut. I like it, man. I like it, man. All right. Uh, one word, one word to describe your playing career. One word to describe my playing career. One word. Oh, man. Uh, 
just going to say successful. Oh man, that's good. That's good. Yeah. One, one last question here, brother. One last question. Mm -hmm. Number one advice you have for aspiring football players. Number one advice, man, work hard, be humble and enjoy the journey. I mean, you don't, you always got to have the passion. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, it's, it's not going to be anything that's at the end of it is going to be gratifying. You know, you always got to be uh, passionate about what you do, uh, how you train, how you prepare, because at the end of the day, you know, when you get on the hardwood, if you get on the football field and them lights, I mean, uh, that's your sanctuary. I mean, that's where you can let it all loose. And so if you prepare the right way, you stay humble and passionate about what you do, uh, the sky's the limit on whatever you do. If it's, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a sports, an athlete, or whatever the case may be. Hey, beautifully said. We'll go ahead and conclude with that. Seneca, I want, uh, you know, I want to thank you. Uh, you know, consummate gentleman, man, uh, you know, doing great things for community. Uh, you know, had a great, great, phenomenal career at every level. Uh, you, you know, obviously you succeed at every level, inspired many people here in Rancho and all throughout the world, uh, you know, when it comes to what you've been able to do, definitely think you, you, you were ahead of your time. Uh, to me, that's irrefutable, just to let you know. I think, I mean, that, that's been said by the best of the best, uh, would agree with that. And uh, like I said, uh, you know, have, you have a beautiful family and you're doing great things out there, man. Just continue success to you, man. I appreciate you, you know, coming on. Oh, you got it, man. Cho is always home, man. Even though I live in Texas, Cho is always going to be home. Sack is always going to be home. So, so all my supporters, all my fans, all my homies, everybody from Sacramento, love y'all. And you know what? And when he says Cho, he's referring to the real Cho, 95670. <laughs> oh, none of this 95742 stuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, guys, on that note, we're going to go ahead and end. Uh, you know, for my listeners out there, continue having a blessed day. Uh, thank you for joining me for another Straight Talk with Strahan. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to another Straight Talk with Strahan podcast. If you haven't done so already, click the subscribe button and we will catch you on the next episode.